Welcome home. It's good to see all of you. I want to introduce some people to you. We have some people in the room today that are called freshmen. And, and if you would, would you stand and let us welcome you home to Cedarville University? Latest report I received, that's 885 strong. Yeah. So the all-time record for our freshman class in Cedarville history is 859, which means this freshman class has blown that record away. So, welcome. We also in the room have some other new faces from transfer students. We have, by the records, 111 transfer students. If you're in the room, stand up and let us welcome you home to Cedarville University. Now there's another group that we're welcoming back. We call them sophomores. If you are a sophomore and you're in the room, would you stand up and let us welcome you home? Good to have you all back. Love the energy. Do we have any juniors in the house? Can I hear from you? All right, stand up. Let's welcome the juniors back. All right, I think that covers everybody. Oh, did, did I forget somebody? Oh, I did, didn't I? Yeah. I forgot the seniors. One of them is informing me who I forgot. I didn't forget you. I just like having a little fun. Uh, if you are a senior and you are in the house, would you stand up and let us congratulate you? All right, any super seniors in the house that you want to stand up and, and let us congratulate? All right, right there, all right, well done, yeah. I, I guess that's me this year, because I'm on year number five too, so I guess I'm a super senior this year, so, or at grad school, one or the other. Anyway, we'll figure all that out. You guys know what? Last year, I stood up here and I told you all we were going to tear down Faith Hall. Next summer, Lord willing, we will be raising faith all, but this year, we are going to be walking by faith for one more year, right? So who, who all's in faith hall? Stand up, let us, yes, we've got, now we've got more than one. There we go. All right. And we also have a new dorm that has been built, which is called Jenkins Hall. I'll show you some photos of it in a little bit. Jenkins Hall is pretty awesome. Who's in Jenkins Hall? Give me a shout out. 
They're all sitting way back there in the back. We got to work on that now. We put you in the best dorm. Get up here up front, all right? Okay, all right. Did you guys have a good summer? All right, I had a really good summer. Can I tell you a little bit about it right quick? We're getting getting rolling. We're just having fun. My summer adventures. There's me and my wife in Hawaii. Yeah. It It was a fun trip. We went scuba diving. That's pretty cool to have a scuba, a picture under, how many of you have a picture underwater? I mean, that's, I'm pretty excited about that. We, guess what we did when we went underwater? We found the Cedarville fish. We did. So I took a picture of it with the underwater camera. It's actually a Hawaiian cleaner wrasse, W-R-A-S-S-E. I don't know what that means, but anyway, we also found the devil. (laughs) This is called a devil scorpion fish. If you step on that, you will regret it for a very long time. I guess that's why they call it the devil. I don't know. We also found a really cool spotted moray eel that was out way too much in the broad daylight, and I thought it might be hungry, so I didn't get any closer than that to it. This was one of my favorites. This is the parrotfish. Look how beautiful that fish is. Those of you that don't scuba dive, you're missing like two-thirds of God's creation, so I'm just saying. And, and then we decided to look for Nemo. We didn't find Nemo, but we saw Crush. So there's Crush, yep. Yeah, so we had these two turtles that hung out with us for like 30 minutes just swimming around, which was pretty awesome. And so I got sunburned on the back of my legs from scuba dive. I don't know how you do that, but anyway, I found a way to do it. And we found Gil, if you've ever watched Nemo. There's Gil, all right. Or at least the closest thing to him. And some huge waterfalls. And we had some really relaxing time staying at a pretty cool resort. So that was a lot of fun. So that's part of what I went up to, uh, did this summer. I went up to Canada and did a bear hunt this summer too. If you want to see pictures of that, you can see me afterwards. I'll show you pictures of that. I'm not going to put those up. Um, went to Word of Life. Any Word of Lifers in the house? All right. Yeah. Went to Word of Life and had a good time there. And then went to Lake Ann. Any Lake Ann people in the house? All right. Ministered up there with Heart Song. Here's the crew the week I was up there. You can see the crew. And so we had a good time up there. That was awesome. All right. Now, here's one thing I got to tell you, because you're going to see the construction. We are going to build another new dorm so that maybe, just maybe, Lord willing, we can actually tear faith down on that side of the street this coming summer. But Lord willing, right? So it's going to be just like the other one. And so you can see all the stats up there on the screen. This is where it's going. So you see exactly where it is, right? The one on the top's already built. The one on the bottom will be where the second one goes. And so we'll have another new dorm. And if you've been in it, it's pretty nice. Nice commons area. Tall ceilings. Are y'all getting happy or mad? I can't tell which. A study room in each of the independent areas. Independent washer dryer in the bathroom. Waterfall showers. I, I, I didn't expect the shower to be the biggest deal of the... There's the entry to it. And then it just looks like a building from the outside. Yeah. Do you guys like waterfall showers that much? No, we don't like them. Boo. I don't know. All right. Hey, here's a question for you. How many of you have noticed the new logo? Yeah, not very many of you. How many of you knew there were three crosses in the old logo? Yeah, not very many of you. All right. 
here we go. This is the new logo. Looks a lot like the old one. That's why you didn't notice, all right? Few minor tweaks. Let me show you the tweaks. You can see it side by side. You see what we did there, huh? We made that starburst a little easier to put on a, on a shirt because it was kind of hard to show up on a shirt. Put a Bible underneath the starburst, made the crosses a little bolder so that everybody would know there were three crosses there. So let me walk you through that. This logo mark is for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. So every time you see it, it should remind you of our slogan. How does it do that? Well, we have the pillar. You'll see those pillars all around campus. Founded in 1887, we provide education marked by academic excellence grounded in biblical truth. That pillar demonstrates stability. It demonstrates that we've been here for a long time, uh, that we are rooted in biblical truth and that we're solid scriptural foundation for that. You see the crosses, the three crosses and the hill of Calvary. And that should remind us every time we see our logo that everything that happens on this campus happens because of the cross at Calvary. If it were not for Jesus and his grace, we would not be here. So that makes the cross of first importance, which means 1 Corinthians 15, 3 has to be our verse. It's the verse where Paul says, for I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, that for, that who pair, that preposition, that means he died in our place and for our sake, substitutionary atonement. And that's what drives everything that we do here at Cedarville University is Jesus and the cross. Then the word of God. You see the starburst coming out of the word of God. Everything we do is driven by biblical truth. God's word's authoritative, it's inspired, it's sufficient, it's inerrant. It drives all that happens here. And we see that the light comes forth from the word. Because Psalm 119, 105 says that your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. We know that we are to hide God's word in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. So every time you see that logo, you should think stability, academic excellence and biblical truth, the cross of Calvary, what Jesus did for us with substitutionary atonement, the word of God and the light that God gives us through his revelation. That's our new logo. What do you guys think? Is that the what? The hive. What's the hive? The hive. That's something on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., right? No, I'm just kidding. All right. All right, we have a new space with a new name. Now, let's be honest. All I really care about is that it serves food well, and so we've improved the line. We've moved the line so that you go in where the old fireplace was. If you've noticed, there's a longer area, so that way you can also go around to get to the drinks or other things, improved service. Uh, we've done some others. I'll show you some other photos of how we've improved service as well. But then also we have a gate that pulls across, which means the entire area can be open anytime the student center is open, which provides space for you to study, collaboration space. It has a high counter. So if you're an introvert and you want your alone time, you can sit at the counter and plug into the wall and stare straight ahead and have your alone time as well. And so we tried to think of everybody as we've done this. So success for this location is if it serves food well, and if I see you guys hanging out, studying, having fun uh, in the location at night, that's what will be success. I don't care if you call it whatever you want to call it. Eventually, there's going to be a generation that knew not Joseph, and it'll get called whatever's on the front door. So <laughs> it's all good. All right. By the way, the name, uh, our mascot's name now is officially Stinger. And our fight song has been named Stinger. And down there, you have a Stinger sandwich wrap and sauce. 
which I hear we can thank Ra for. But anyway, I don't know if that's a true story or a rumor. So there's Stinger hanging out in his place. Anyway, all right, you've seen it. I'm not going to spend a lot of time showing you the pictures. Uh, but, I, oh, I do need to tell you this. I got to read you some stats. Square footage, we went from 3,200 square feet to 6,250 square feet. Who knows how many USB ports are in Stingers? 64 USB ports are in Stingers. Do you wanna know the coolest thing about Stingers? How many of you tried to use your cell phone down in the game room, the former game room, and you had what, zero bars, maybe one bar? So there's an amplified cell signal and multiplied Wi-Fi. So I was down there the other day. Down there the other day, testing it out, walking around to the back of what used to be the game room, now Stingers, and had four bars out of five. And so good cell service, so that way it won't eat your battery, constantly searching for a signal. So that way you can hang out more at night, have fun, it'll be a more natural space for you to be. We've got it really uh, lit brightly so that you can study, but the lights are dimmable. In fact, Brian Burns can dim them even from his phone. Uh, and so we have lights that are dimmable so that when we have special events going on, we can create the ambiance or the mood that we want uh, depending on what's happening. Maybe that was the wrong way to say that, but anyway, you know what I mean. Yeah, all right, I'm moving on. Uh, we went from 100 seating capacity to 214. You have booths, you have high tables, you have low tables, and you have the high counter for all the introverts in the house. All right, so we tried to accommodate everybody. All right, let me show you this photo. I like this one on the right. You know what that is? That's a universal charging station. Just in case you forgot your cord to plug into one of the 64 USB ports, you can plug the cord into your phone and leave it sitting there, and then you can still have a charge. And so we've tried to make sure that we have thought of everything for the technology generation that we know you are. This is the end of the microphone system. Instead of, Rahul Jacobs, your order is ready. We will have buzzers. And so you'll take this, go to the table, it'll buzz, you go back up, you get your food, improved food service, a place for you guys to hang out. So it took a whole lot of people with a whole lot of time and effort to make it happen. So can you join me in thanking them for creating a space for you guys to hang out? All right, I will be doing two town halls down in Stingers too. So if you want to come to those, you ask anything you want. I don't care. Everything's fair game. I just want to be able to hang out with you guys some. And so September 28th, March 15th, those are two Thursdays, one in the fall, one in the spring. We'll be doing that. Some good news for you as well in that we have a new appointed visiting professor, Sam Alberry. So we'll be making an announcement about this in a few days, and then we'll get you information on what class he's going to teach, when he's going to teach, all that type of stuff. I think he's actually going to be here with us later on this week, uh, going to hang out with us some before he heads down to Nashville. And then he's speaking two days this fall. Then in the spring, we're going to have Sam and Rosaria Butterfield here on back-to-back -back days for our apologetics conference. And so uh, pretty awesome. He's been a good buddy, and we like him a lot. Great guy. All right, Campus Master Plan. This is one of my three big rocks for this year. I mention it to you because we want you involved. 
You're all over the campus, you live in the dorms, you're walking through the campus, you're seeing things, you have good ideas, things that we need to have, things you would love to see on campus that maybe you've seen at other places that you've gone to visit. And so we want you involved in the, in the campus master planning process. It's going to be a 10-year campus master plan. Here's kind of our layout for it. We're going to gather data, then we're going to do a plan exploration, then we're going to refine the plan and we'll have it done by May to present to the board of trustees. And then that will be our 10-year guiding plan by which we build buildings, renovate buildings, add new things to the institution. It'll kind of be our marching orders as we make decisions. So I want you guys to think about as you're going around campus, uh, what do we need to do better? What's a problem you'd love to see solved? What's something that you just love to see enhanced? Make sure you take notes of those and participate in the, prog in the process, okay? You guys with me on that? All right, Bible conference starts tonight, seven o'clock. Mark Vroga, pastor at College Park, he has some boys here as well. He's going to talk to us about the battle, killing sin before it kills you. And so don't miss it. Tonight, 7 o'clock, be here all week. We'll have a great time. It'll be awesome. Some other things that are coming up this year. How many of you know what this is the 500th anniversary of? I couldn't hear you. What was that? Oh, it's the Reformation. Yes, it is the Reformation. And in fact... We actually have one of our faculty members who has published in the Princeton Theologi uh, Theological Monograph Series, uh, Billy Marsh, Dr. William Marsh, Dr. Marsh, do I see you anywhere in the house, back there in the back? Stand up, stand up, we wanna embarrass you thoroughly. Right there he is, all right. Yep. So he has written this book that has been published. He's gonna be speaking to us in chapel on 921. Jason Lee, who is right here. You got to stand up and wave at everybody too. Yep. We, um, he has a Reformation commentary on the book of Matthew that's coming out. Uh, he will be speaking to us on 1031, which is the actual 500th anniversary of Martin Luther nailing the 95 theses to the door at Wittenberg. And so you need to know about this. If you don't know about this, don't Google it right now. But when you get out, make sure you go find a good source, buy Dr. Marsh's book, do all those type things and read up on it because it's the 500th anniversary. You're going to hear about it everywhere. Be informed, be engaged. That later led to the focus on the authority of Scripture and salvation by grace through faith led eventually throughout history down uh, to the five solas. Five solas were not initially part of that, but it led to them. And so when you hear people talk about sola scriptura, sola fide, sola gratia, sola Christus, and sola de gloria, all of that flows from this emphasis on scripture and salvation by grace through faith. So we're going to be talking about that a lot in the coming year. All right, you guys want to know what the chapel series is for this year? Mine? All right, how many of you have been in a church where your pastor has preached through the book of Proverbs? Raise your hand. Okay, not, not very many. Do you want to know why? Because it's really hard. So pray for me, all right? Uh, the first nine chapters kind of lay out fairly well, and then after that, you get these individual sayings throughout, and so you kind of have to group them together, and so it's difficult to figure out how to do that. Uh, so we're going to try to do that. In fact, we have a video uh, that you'll be seeing frequently. But we have a video that we're going to show you right now to kind of set the stage for what we're going to do during the sermon series this coming year.
All right, so Proverbs, 31 chapters. You could read a chapter a day through most months throughout the school year. You could read through Proverbs eight times or so, and that would help ingrain it into your mind as we're walking through it in chapel. So I encourage you to do that uh, as you're doing other Bible reading as well. I'm going to set it up for you. And in about the next 10, 15 minutes, I want to talk to you about some of the foundational principles to set up the sermon series. We're not going to start it today, but I want to, I want to dive in just a little bit and set the scene. You okay with that? That's where we're going. Next 10 minutes or so. Uh, the title of the sermon series is The Way of Wisdom. That comes from Proverbs 4.11. I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the path of, the upright, of uprightness. Now, the book of Proverbs is written by a father to a son. Uh, that father being Solomon, in his wisdom, knew that if he personified wisdom as a woman, he would have his teenage boy's attention, right? And so it's written as a father to a son, and it's written in a certain way, but it has wisdom for all of us. It, nobody is left out in this. In fact, Proverbs talks about when you think you have all the wisdom that you have prideful arrogance and you're soon to fall. So even the oldest among us in the room needs to focus and look at Proverbs and see what God's revelation has to say. The purpose is to transform the simple into the wise. The wise live in the fear of the Lord in God's created universe. So let's think about it. The way of wisdom. You have a path that could go off to one direction in the way of wisdom. You have another path that could go off into the way of folly. Which one of those paths do we go most naturally? Okay, that was pretty weak. That was really weak. Which one of those paths do we go through most naturally? Folly. I'm, I'm speaking for myself. It's folly. Sin nature is strong in me, all right? I don't know how your sin nature is, but I, I, got, a, I got a nice dose personally. I notice in my own thought life, in my own attitudes, in my own prideful arrogance, and all of these things through life as I walk through life, I just see my heart naturally wanting to run away from God, naturally wanting to do the selfish thing, naturally wanting to react in ways that I shouldn't react because that's where my sin nature takes me. That, that's why I talk to you so much about being in God's Word, that every morning you have to get up and you have to get in God's Word and you have to pray and you have to seek the Lord because unless we're seeking the Lord, unless we're setting aside our way for His way, we're going to naturally flow towards that way of folly. And that's where every human being wants to run because of the sin nature that is in them. You don't have to teach a baby how to be selfish. You don't have to teach a child how to lie or how to steal or how to do any of those things. It all comes naturally. You have to train and teach yourself how to pursue the way of wisdom. So as we look at this, we realize that every day we have a choice of the way of folly or of the way of wisdom, and we want to choose the way of wisdom. And often we recognize, today, I didn't do so hot, I chose the way of folly, and that's when we fall on our knees, repent before a holy God, get right with God, get back in His Word, and then pursue that way of wisdom. And that's a choice each of you has to make. I can't make that choice for you. Your mom and dad can't make that choice for you. Those who love you can't make that decision for you. It's your decision. It's your walk with Christ. It's your theology. It's how you want to live your life. You have to own it. So this year, we're going to talk about owning the way of wisdom. The theme verse is Proverbs 1-7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Do you see it there? The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the way of wisdom. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So you say, I, I don't want to study this. It's not wasting my time. This verse has something to say to you. 
I don't want to listen to what God says. I don't want to apply God's truths to my life. I know best. I'm a pretty smart fella. I've made it all right so far. This verse has something to say to us. If we pursue our own wisdom, our own way, our own selfish path, then what this verse says to us is that fools despise the wisdom and the instruction that comes from God's word. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All right, let's talk about some foundational principles here. I had a little fun with this. We can have fun with it, right? Proverbs presents pithy poetic principles, not prosaic perpetual promises. (laughs) Perhaps president got carried away with peas. I don't know, but um, if you want to make it short, it's principles, not promises. Why does this matter? This matters so that you don't leave the room thinking, but what about but what about this? But what about that? The one that most people usually bring up is train up a child in the way he should go and he will not depart from it. And you know somebody that has lived a life and tried to train up a child in that way and they've departed from the faith. And you say, look, see, that's a problem. Uh, The Proverbs is God's revelation to us. It is important to us, but it presents principles, not promises all throughout. So we have to make sure we understand the genre of what we're talking about. And we do this all the time. It's not just something that's in scripture. You think about these two, many hands make light work. So get everybody involved, right? There's too many cooks in the kitchen. You've got contrasting proverbs from our society, which one's true, both in different circumstances. So not only does proverbs teach wisdom, it requires wisdom to apply it and understand it appropriately and correctly. Look before you leap, he who hesitates is lost. Well, which one's true? both in different circumstances. And so we look at these as principles, not promises. Why should we want to study Proverbs? It's God's revelation, but it's also written by Solomon. Solomon, 1 Kings 3, 9. Give your servant, therefore, an understanding mind to govern your people that I may discern between good and evil. For who is able to govern this, your great people? That was his request when God asked him what he wanted. And in 1 Kings 4, 29 through 32, it records what comes off of that. And God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding beyond measure and breadth of mind like the sand on the seashore so that Solomon's wisdom surpassed all of the people of the East and all of the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all other men, wiser than Ethan, the Ezrite, Heman, Calco, Darda, the sons of Mahal, And his fame was in all the surrounding nations. He spoke 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. Now, we're going to look at the proverbs that the Holy Spirit has inspired to be in God's revelation that that are the words of God. They should apply to our lives, and because it's in God's word, it's important. But they're written by Solomon, most of them. And he was the wisest man that ever lived. So why should we, why should I, not want to learn from the wisdom that God wants me to have in my life so that I'll live in the way of wisdom and live in the way that glorifies him and the way that he has designed in his universe that is best for me. And so I want to sit at the feet of Proverbs this year and I want to learn. I read a proverb every single day as part of my Bible reading plan that I'm always in the book of Proverbs going through it, usually one or two different Proverbs focusing on what they say and then just trying to dive deep into that. That's what we're going to try to do this year as we look at the book of Proverbs. Now, here's my fear. Can I share with you my fear? My fear is that preaching Proverbs, because a lot of it's a list of different sayings and things that we should do, is that you're going to think I'm preaching morality. Can you see that? Don't get angry. Don't lose your temper. You know, don't, don't be greedy. J- just be good. And, and so what you hear may be just morality. 
be a good person and everything will be okay. Is that the gospel? No, that's not the gospel. That's something we call moral therapeutic deism. And unfortunately, it's taught all throughout churches way too often. So the reason the theme verse is the fear of the Lord is because the fear of the Lord drives us back to an understanding of bending our will towards God's will in submission to his holy omnipotent ways so that we then can focus on what he wants us to do. It's really salvation coming out of the fear of the Lord that then causes us to act in a certain way that pleases the God that created us and the God that died for us. And because we do that, the gospel then is at the heart or the core or the center of all that we're going to talk about and all we're going to teach. We're not going to do moral therapeutic deism. You say, what is that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Came out in 2005 in a book entitled Soul Searching, The Religious and Spiritual Lives of American Teenagers. It's 2005, so it's a little bit dated, but it was 3,000 teenagers. They went and they surveyed what they thought about religion at the time, and they came up with these guiding principles. Most of them believed that there was a God who existed and created and ordered the world and watched over human life. That God wanted people to be good, nice, and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most religions. So you can see where pluralism gets confused here. If all you're after is good behavior, then a lot of the different religions, false religions, and the truth of Christianity teach you to be a good person. The central goal of life is to be happy and feel good about oneself. There's Barney. Is that the goal of the Bible? To be happy. And feel good about oneself. Let's interview the disciples. Disciples, was the goal of you following Jesus to be happy? All of them died a martyr's death except one exiled on the island of Patmos. They failed miserably if the end goal was just to be happy. God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. There's your genie in a bottle. God to those type belief systems is nothing more than a genie in a bottle where when I get in trouble, I say, oh, but God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll do whatever. Or you feel like you're just, you're rubbing that God, I need you right now, but you haven't turned to God in your entire life until you really feel like you need him because all of a sudden it's beyond your control and then you want to turn to God to have God get you out of trouble. That's not what God is. God is not your genie all about your life. God is what all of it is all about, and we're supposed to be part of his great story. He's not part of our story. Good people go to heaven when they die. Is that the gospel? Hmm, boy, if that's the gospel, that's a works-based salvation, isn't it? And we believe that you're saved by faith through grace, not of works, lest anyone should boast, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. So this is not what we're preaching. I'll try to be clear all semester, all year. I'll try to make sure I'm very careful with my wording, but I want to be upfront with you and honest that this is a concern that when you preach Proverbs, it's just preaching morality. And that is not what we're after. We're about preaching life change. Our hearts change. We bend our will to God's will. That results in a different way of living life. And so Proverbs then provides a mirror that we look at. When we look at this mirror and we see that our actions don't match up with what it says, then we've got to ask ourselves, are we following the way of wisdom or are we following the way of folly? And if we're following the way of folly, then maybe Maybe we've got something in our life we need to correct or repent of. Now, there may even be somebody in the room today that you look at this and you think, oh, yeah, yeah, that's what I thought Christianity was. Christianity, the Bible, the biblical worldview, tells us that God created us in the beginning. He created us in, in a creation that was very good and gave Adam and Eve freedom. Adam and Eve sinned, and when they sinned, 
Sin entered the world. It was a bad thing. It separated them from their creator. That sin nature that they inherited has come down through all of us so that we inherit that sin nature separated from our creator so that we flee to that way of folly. And the only way we can really go to the way of wisdom is to fall on our knees, repent of our sins, put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, lean to what he has done on the cross so that when we repent and put our faith in Christ, God no longer sees me with all my sinfulness But God then sees Christ in all his righteousness, and I am clothed in Christ's righteousness. It is imputed to me, just like that sin nature was imputed to me. Christ's righteousness is imputed to me upon salvation, and at that point, I am justified. I am declared righteous, and I have the Holy Spirit that lives within me. I am adopted into the family of God and cannot be separated from God at the moment of genuine, true salvation, so that that Holy Spirit living within me gives me the power through the Holy Spirit to put to death the deed of the flesh. I don't make peace with my sin anymore. I war against my sin. I strive to live in that way of wisdom through the power of the Holy Spirit, not through my own strength, so that I can please the God who has loved me, who has bought me, who has redeemed me. That's what the Bible teaches us. If you haven't done that, the most important decision you can make your first semester here at Cedarville University is to get your life right with Jesus Christ and salvation. You say, wait a second, aren't you gonna think I'm weird if I, if I filled out a testimony on an application and I came to Cedarville and, and, and then I get saved? Nope, we're not gonna think you're weird at all. We're gonna celebrate with you. We have students that get saved every single year. In fact, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before now, they're running together. But we had somebody that got saved and I asked them the question, what did you put on your application? And they said, I didn't know what a testimony was, so I Googled it and then I copied and pasted it and put it into the application. And then, and then that person said, are you gonna kick me out? I said, nope, you've got a testimony now, you're all right. <laughs> so if you're here and you're wondering and you don't wanna to talk to somebody, that's the worst thing you could possibly do because that's what the devil wants you to do. Stay hidden, feel isolated, feel alone, off in your corner, all by yourself, instead of saying to somebody, you know, I'm not really sure I have this all figured out. I need some help. I need to talk to somebody. I need to deal with some of my sin issues. And by the way, we all have them. I need to deal with some junk. I need to get it out of my life. I need to get right with God. Go tell somebody that. Shine the light of the gospel upon all the things that are happening in your life. All right, fear the Lord. Let me talk to you for just a minute about fear the Lord. And then next week, we will dive in with Proverbs chapter one, verses one through seven. The fear of the Lord brackets Proverbs. You see it in Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. You see it at the end of that first section in 9, 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see it at the end of the book in 31, 30, where you have this woman who is personified as the woman of wisdom, as the Proverbs 31 woman, and it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. So if the writer of the book of Proverbs started off with the theme in verse seven, ended the first section and repeated it again, and then ended the book by repeating it again, it's a pretty important thing for us to understand. How do we learn to fear the Lord? There are many different verses that I could point you to, several in Deuteronomy, but I've chosen this one. I've chosen this one intentionally because here's what it says. When the king sits on his throne, what's the king supposed to do? Write for himself a copy of the law. The Levitical priest then will approve of that, and then it's gonna be with him. He's gonna carry the copy of the law with him. 
And then he's gonna read it all the days of his life so that he may what? Learn to fear the Lord. So this tells me that I don't naturally fear the Lord. I have to learn to fear the Lord. And how do I learn to fear the Lord? So maybe you're sitting here and you like your sin more than you like Jesus. Just to be blunt, when it comes right down to it, you like your sin more than you love God. You read the word, you focus on the word. You learn more about who God is and who you are and how much he loved you, even though we are depraved and rebel against him. And we look at that word and we learn to fear the Lord. And when we fear the Lord, it's by keeping all the words of the law and his statutes and by doing them. It's not that we just read the words and go do whatever we want. We read the words and then that results in right action because we have changed our thinking and that thinking affects the way we behave. And so it's a heart change that flows outward from that point. Provides humility. You don't think less of yourself than you should. You just think more of God as you should. And the more you think about God, the less you think about yourself. The more important God is, the less important I am. It's going to keep him from being lifted up among his brothers that they might not turn aside either to the right hand or to the left and continue in his kingdom long in his days. The fear of the Lord requires action. You saw that in the last one, Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. Solomon writing, vanity is vanities. All things are vanity. All the things you pursue, it's vanity. So what's the end of the matter? What's the summary of Solomon's wisdom? Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Job 28, 28. Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to turn away from evil, that is understanding. Remembering here that following the Proverbs does not guarantee prosperity because Job was a man who loved the Lord and went through several trials in his life. And at the end of them, here you see what he is saying. The fear of the Lord is the Old Testament way of saying faith in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.11. This is the passage which talks about us being ambassadors for Christ. We're going to go out and pursue reconciliation, ministers of reconciliation. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing the gospel message, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing faith in Christ, we persuade others. Therefore, knowing that we should fear God, we persuade others. Philippians 2, 12 and 13, talking about sanctification. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you according to his good purposes. Revelation 14, 6 and 7 even says, Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead with an eternal gospel to proclaim. What was that eternal gospel? Well, to those who dwell on earth, to every nation, tribe, language, and people, he said with a loud voice, Fear God and give him glory. So when we talk about the fear of the Lord, understand that we're studying Proverbs, an Old Testament book, but the fear of the Lord is a way of saying in the Old Testament what faith in Christ, fear God, give him glory. The message of reconciliation is in the New Testament. And you will never, ever graduate from the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is like the alphabet to the writer or to the reader. You've learned your ABCs and you still use them every single day. You never get over them. How many of you in the room are musicians? Can read music? There's a lot of you. If you know the notes, you know how to read music. If you don't, you can't read music. Just because you've learned the notes doesn't mean you ever go past that. It just becomes a foundation of everything else that you build upon. 
If you were to think about philosophy, the fear of the Lord is the foundational presupposition to the way of wisdom. It is what we assume as our starting point, as our foundation, as our building block. So if you have not gotten to the point where you fear the Lord, get into God's word, read God's word, meditate on God's word, memorize God's word, dive deep into God's word, and it will create in you. You will learn to fear the Lord. But when you've learned to fear the Lord, that's just the beginning. That is the foundation that we will build off of for the rest of the year. And that fear of the Lord starts our pathway towards the way of wisdom so that we can pursue God, bending our will to his omniscient ways so that we can please him and live a life that is not wasted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We must revere God. We must respond in awe to his word. We must choose his omniscient ways over our foolish ways. Is he safe? No. But he's good. So this year, as we pursue the way of wisdom, let's pursue God. Let's dig deep into his word and let's fear the Lord for that is the beginning of knowledge. I'm gonna pray for us and we're gonna sing ourselves out and then tonight at seven o'clock, Bible conference. Dear God, as we start this semester off, I pray in my own heart and my own life, Lord, that you would convict me of things where I need to be convicted. Lord, I pray that you would help me to set aside any idols, that you would move them out of the way. Lord, I pray that you would help us as we come together at Cedarville University to worship you in spirit and in truth, to praise you. Lord, I pray that you would help us to pursue you with a holy passion. Lord, that you would be first and foremost in all of our lives, that what we care about most would be pleasing you and living a life that is not wasted for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to be good stewards. Help us to choose the way of wisdom.